Good morning. My name is Kyle, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and to turn to Mark chapter 14. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles for you back on the round table. Feel free to get up now and get one. And if you don't know where Mark is, there's a table of contents for you in the front of the Bible. We all start somewhere. Well, as you are finding that passage in Mark, I want to ask you a question. When is the last time that you saw something beautiful? Like breathtaking beautiful. You got it? Malcolm Mudbridge was a journalist, an author, and a cynic hardened by World War II. And then he met an Albanian nun who we know as Mother Teresa. And it changed his life. He became a Christian. He entitled the book that he wrote about Mother Teresa, A Beautiful Thing for God. In our passage, we find someone who does a beautiful thing for God. Give your attention now to God's word. And while he, that is Jesus, was at Bethany, and the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. And Lord, we ask that you might give us one thing. to behold you, to gaze upon your beauty as you make yourself present in the preaching of the gospel. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, every day when I come to work, just about, I ride a motorcycle. The reason that I ride a motorcycle is not because I'm a motorcycle enthusiast. I actually don't love riding motorcycles that much. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I like dirt bikes because you go in the air, but motorcycles, they're just kind of boring. The reason why I like my motorcycle, though, is because it works. I mean, 
I have had no problems with the motorcycle except for things that I cause, like leaving the ignition on for hours on end. Then the battery goes dead. Besides that, I've had no problems, virtually no problems whatsoever. And every day, I drive to work downtown, downtown where parking is very difficult. And I pull right into the parking garage, and motorcycles park for free. And I park there. I, I, I love my bike because it works. We recently moved, and we are in a home now that has a garage. And I had to figure out, how do I open a garage on a motorcycle? Right? It's actually a difficult thing. But they've got enough technology these days, so I go searching, and I get a smart garage opener. Okay? So I get it. I set it up. I mean, this thing is wonderful because I can set, like, um, times in the day where it just shuts at night and I don't have to worry about it. I can tell in my house it's a detached garage, whether it's open or closed. And I put it together and I set it up and I saw it and it worked. It worked. It was wonderful. And then I got on my motorcycle and I drive up and I realized that, like, it doesn't work. It doesn't open when I ride my motorcycle up. That's the whole reason I got it, right? And so then I go looking online, and I decided I'm going to set up a geofence. If you don't know what a geofence is, do not join me down this rabbit hole. <laughs> do not join me down this rabbit hole. Trust me. It gets. The other morning I left at 5 a.m., and all our lights went on. And Pam was like, you know how to go turn off all the lights at 5 a.m., right? Don't go with me. So the, it didn't work. I can't set up a geofence. They don't allow it. I found out. And so then, immediately, I'm looking at how do I return this garage door opener, and what else can I get to replace it? And we like things that work, don't we? I like things that just work. And if something doesn't work, then I want to trade it in and get something that does work. And it's not just with, like, technology. We do that with everything. We do it with diets. This diet is not working. So I'm going to trade it in. We do it with exercise routines. We do it with relationships. We do it with friends. We do it with marriages. We do it with churches. I was talking to somebody recently. How I've poured my heart and life into this church, and I've served and served and served and served. And with tears in their eyes, they looked at me and they said, but it's just not working. I'm not finding belonging. I'm not finding love. I'm not finding connection. That's one thing with church. But we don't just do it with church, do we? We also do it with Jesus. I wonder, does Jesus work? Some of you were asking that question this morning. Does Jesus actually work? I talk to people who leave the faith, they leave Christianity, and a very common response is, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work. We like things that work. The other day I was, it was well, some time ago, and I was back in, um, I was back in the kitchen and as I was back in the kitchen, I was uh, washing my hands, and I started to dry them. And as I started to dry them, uh, Wanda, who serves diligently in the kitchen, said to me, don't use that towel to dry. And I was like, okay, um, what, is it used for cleaning? Is it dirty? No. No, it's not used for, is it used for dusting? No. Uh, well, what's it used for? 
And she goes, to look at. It's pretty. Wait, so you don't use it for anything? It's not practical? It's not useful? Like, it's got to work. It's got to do something. No, it's just beautiful. Beautiful things, well, they don't always work. We like beautiful things. We value beautiful things even when they don't work. In fact, for something to be beautiful means that its value is not tied up with what it can accomplish or what it can do. Like crown molding. Or those shutters on the outside of windows. Or or like when I go to buy a car and I'm going to make sure that that thing has chrome trim. Right? If I don't, chrome trim, as far as I'm aware, doesn't do anything. But I like the way it looks. It's pleasing to me. And if I can't purchase the car with chrome trim, then I will get a cheaper model car so I can have the chrome trim. Because it makes all the difference in the world to me. I think it's beautiful. We like beautiful things. They're valuable not for what they do, but for what they are. In verse 6, Jesus says that there's this beautiful thing that's been done. Let me set the scene for you. It is two days before Passover, and Jerusalem is teeming with pilgrims. The city has swelled from 50,000 people to some 250,000 as people come to celebrate this week-long feast. And as they come into the city, the high priest who should be, and all the religious leaders who should be worried about making preparations for Passover, they've got other things on their mind. From the beginning of the passage, which I didn't read from us, we find that they are plotting to take out this religious renegade who they don't like very much. His name is Jesus. As that's happening in Jerusalem, some two miles east in the town of Bethany, there's a dinner party. It's at a man named Simon's house. Simon used to be a leper, which is probably what brought him to Bethany, because Bethany was the place where people who were sick or poor went to get help. It was kind of like the Laboner or the Mayo Clinic of that day. And the reason why it was in, that it was in Bethany where they helped the, these people who were sick is because it had to be far enough from the temple so that it was... You know, the temple remained clean. Well, anyway, there at Simon's house, there's a motley crew of misfits having a dinner. There's some fishermen. There are some tax collectors. There are some very wealthy women who supported Jesus and his ministry. And there's this other woman there who has an alabaster glass of spikenard with her. I know you all put on spikenard this morning. And as she was sitting there at this very formal dinner, she takes the spikenard, she breaks the glass, and she anoints Jesus' head, and Jesus says that this is a beautiful thing. Now, not everybody was so taken with this action. The text tells us in verse 4 that some people actually became indignant about this that they were pretty upset about what this woman did. Well, why were they so upset? Well, verse 3 tells us that what we have here is not just spikenard, but pure spikenard, a very precious and rare ointment. 
so precious and rare that it would have been worth in that day, the text tells us, 300 denarii. Now, you have to understand that a denarii is a day's wage. So we're talking about roughly one year's worth of wages. Let me ask you, how much do you make in a year? No, don't tell me out loud. But really, like 50000 75000 100000 150000 500000 A million? What could you do with that money? Like if you didn't have to pay your mortgage or your rent, you didn't have to buy food with it, you didn't have to pay tuition, what could you do with that? Think of what you could accomplish with that money. Think if you just had a year's worth of your salary handed to you on top of what you already have. Think about all the things you could do. Think about what you could do for the kingdom. Think about the orphanage that you could start in Rwanda. Think about the habitat house that could be built that you could help facilitate to get a family into. Think about all the people that could be fed. Think about the missionaries that could be supported with that money. Think about what that money could do. Well, and then think about this. Think about the fact that this woman, verse 3, tells us, broke the flask and poured it on Jesus' head. Drains it. All gone in a couple seconds. What a waste. What was she thinking? What the perdition is literally what the text says, they say. What the perdition? What is she thinking? Does she not get it? Does she not understand the kingdom? Does she not know all that could be done with that money? Verses 4 and 5. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given for the poor. See, this, this ointment was good for something. It was good for helping the poor. And now, after she's done this, it's good, it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. But Jesus, he says, leave her alone, verse 6. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. But you see, that's precisely their problem. That she did a beautiful thing. She did something that was good for nothing. See, beautiful things are good for nothing. They're not good for something, they're just good. And she does a beautiful thing. She does this thing that that's value is not bound up in what it can accomplish and what it can achieve and what it can do. It's not practical. It's beautiful. And that's their problem. You know, it's hard to appreciate the value of beauty. Isn't it? I often have a hard time appreciating the value of beauty. I, I, I experience this often with talking to a college student. What's your major well, I'd like it to be art. But my dad is making me go into business because he says that it's impractical to do art. And we feel that, don't we? We feel that. Dorothy Day, um, the Catholic social worker, once was working at a soup kitchen where a patron came in and handed her a diamond ring. Later on that day, one of the... Um, 
one of the folks who worked there, one of the volunteers, report how Dorothy Day uh, took the diamond ring and she gave it to a woman who came in every day to the soup kitchen who was like barely conscious and not very lucid and couldn't speak a straight word and she just gave her this diamond ring. And one of the servers came up and she said, wouldn't it have been better if we would have taken that money and taken that ring and sold it and gotten food for that woman? I mean, I feel that. Don't you feel that? I mean, why have wine and good bread when grape juice and crackers will do? Why spend money on an art gallery or good sound when there are so many people who are poor? Why build a building or commission someone to do a baptismal font? We haven't done that, but I want them to do it. But why do it? Why do it? When that money could be sent to people working overseas. Why hang up decorative towels in the kitchen? When socks could be bought for orphans. And why, pray tell, does God command Israelites to spend so much time and resources making priest robes? Did anybody get belabored with that text and all the details and all the stones and all the gold just talking about Aaron and the priest's robes? And you've got to think, were there no poor people in Israel? They were traveling nomads in the middle of the desert. Why would they spend their resources on that? Well, God said, it's for beauty. But it's hard Because that just seems like a waste. What a waste. Beauty is such a waste. So why should we value beauty? Why should we concern ourselves with beauty? Well, I think it's because Jesus actually values beautiful things. Like acts of mercy. Jesus in verse 7 goes on to say, For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good to them. Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good to them. So stop troubling this woman. Now, it's a very famous text. It's often quoted. And it's often quoted to say something like, you will always have the poor with you. So we can't do anything about it. Why bother? Rick Perry in 2014 quoted this text and said, I mean, the poor are reality, and so we can't really concern ourselves with that because the Bible tells us that they're always going to be there. But I want you to notice two things about this text. Very particular things. First, Jesus goes on to say, You always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. In other words, Jesus is saying that there are particular callings at particular times and particular places where you have to do particular things. And sometimes the calling is to paint a mural. And sometimes the calling is to feed the poor. And it takes prayer and wisdom and discernment to figure out what to do and when. But as Dorothy Day pointed out, that 
God didn't make diamonds just for the rich. And the poor need beauty too. But to know which one, whether you feed or whether you paint, well, that takes actually wisdom and discernment. And Jesus is saying, now is the time, right now is the time to do something for me because you will not always have me with you. But that's not the only thing that Jesus says here. I want you to look at the text very closely. Verse 7, he says, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good to them. And whenever you want, you can do good to them. Jesus is referring to actually Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. He most likely has that verse in his head, which says, There will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, don't concern yourself with the poor. Wait, no, it doesn't say that. It says, There will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Because there will always be poor, you should always give to the poor. Because there will always be poor, you should concern yourself with giving to the poor. But wait a second, wait. That means that that giving to the poor, it's like it doesn't do anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's not practical, but maybe its value is in the fact that it is beautiful. No matter what it accomplishes. Maybe it's valuable in and of itself. Maybe mercy is valuable in and of itself and not for what it accomplishes. Maybe it's just good. It's not that it's good for something. It's just good. Maybe mercy is a beautiful thing. You know, a lot of us have a picture of heaven. I have a picture of heaven where I am completely self-sufficient. And I'm not poor in any way. I wonder if that's your picture of heaven. Well, that means heaven is a place without grace and without mercy. It's a place where we're not dependent on God. And I'm starting to wonder if actually the poor will always be with us, and that's even in heaven. And you and I, we will always be poor in some fashion. And actually that the point of it is so that we can be Mutually dependent, always receiving mercy and grace because God is merciful and gracious and we are to be like him. And maybe heaven is this beautiful place where we were always giving out of our excess and always receiving out of our want and dependent in that. And we are always poor and always being filled up. And man, you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds beautiful. Like the church supposed to be beautiful where god does not give the same gifts everywhere but god divides up gifts and he divides up needs so that we can be connected to one another bound in reciprocal love mercy is beautiful and jesus values beautiful things like mercy jesus also values beautiful things like like serving him Serving Jesus is a beautiful thing. Verse 6, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Missionary Adonai Judson went off to India. For nine years it said that he had no converts. After 12 years or 13 years, he had only had 19 converts, he and his associates. 
In the meantime, he lost 24 of his relatives and associates, including wife and several children. Was it worth it? Was it really effective? Lots of people have asked that question. Amy Carmichael asked that question when she was serving in India. God, did you call me here to fail? 1912, there was a medical missionary named Dr. William Leslie. He went down to a tribal people in Congo. He returned after 17 years and he was completely discouraged because he felt like he was totally ineffective. He died nine years later. Was it worth it? I mean, it wasn't good for something. But maybe it's just good. Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And I used to believe that that the feet of those who bring the good news are beautiful because they affect conversions, but maybe they're just beautiful. Maybe God just thinks they're beautiful. And maybe those friendships that you're building, maybe they're beautiful whether or not they go anywhere. Maybe when you share the gospel with a friend or family member, maybe it's just beautiful whether or not they accept it. Maybe the Bible studies that you're doing with people and you're not seeing any growth. Maybe it's just beautiful. Maybe serving Jesus is good. Not just good for something, but good. Good for good. Because it's beautiful. She has done a beautiful thing for me. Jesus values beautiful things because Jesus himself is beautiful. The text starts off by talking about these chief priests and leaders who are scheming against Jesus. And then notice that it closes with Judas going to these chief priests and leaders to scheme on how they can betray him. It's a literary technique that Mark uses called, very sophisticatedly, a Mark and Sandwich, right? Very sophisticated. And this mark and sandwich is supposed to tell us that actually the things on the end interpret the things in the middle, and the things in the middle interpret the things on the end. In other words, these are mutually interpretive. What you need to realize is that Jesus is at a point in his ministry here when everybody believes that he is good for nothing. He was supposed to lead into Jerusalem and take the temple. He was supposed to restore the poor. He was supposed to do all these things to bring the kingdom. And yet, he doesn't seem to be doing any of those things. And you know what? Judas becomes disenfranchised. Judas, it says, verse 10 went out, who was one of the twelve, in order to betray him. And notice the word, then. You see, because Judas, like the other disciples, they believed that Jesus was a means to their end. Jesus was good for something. Jesus was good for bringing the kingdom. Jesus was good for something. Jesus was good for kicking out the Romans. 
Jesus is good for something. Jesus is good for fulfilling the promises of the prophets and making sure that there weren't poor in the land. Jesus is good for something. But what if Jesus is good for nothing? You see, for Judas, Jesus was valuable, or was valuable only if he was useful. For Judas, Jesus had to be good for something. He wasn't just good. What about you? Is Jesus good for something or is he just good? Let me put it this way. What happens when Christianity doesn't seem to work? You put in and you put in and you put in and you're like, these addictions, they are remaining. You put in and you put in and you put in and you say, well, my, my family life is still a mess. You put in and you put in and you put in service and you still don't feel gratitude or you don't feel like things are changing. And what happens when Christianity doesn't work? What happens when Jesus doesn't seem to work? Are you tempted to give in or give up? Maybe trade Jesus in for a different hobby or a lifestyle change. Let me tell you something. Until Jesus becomes beautiful to you and me, and not just useful, he will remain betrayable. Because when he stops working, we'll be done with him. Like Judas was done with him. Because he stopped working. Now let me be clear. I believe that Jesus is good for everything. I believe that Jesus is good for everything. He is the one through whom all things came into being. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the Word of God and the revelation of the Father. He is the Savior of all mankind. He is the Redeemer and the Reconciler of all things who by His blood brings you back to God. He is the great physician, and by his wounds we are healed. He is the victor who destroys the greatest enemies that we have, sin and death. He is our future, he is our hope, and he gives us an inheritance. Let me tell you, Jesus is good for something. He is good for everything, but I also believe that Jesus is just good. He's the irradiance of God. The glory that shines through. And he is the pearl of great price because he is just good. Because he is beautiful. And she gets that. That's why she anoints him. You know, you anoint people when they're going to do a great thing like be a king or be a prophet or be a priest. But she anoints him when all he's going to do is die. And she has no idea what that entails. She anoints him and she has no idea the value of what she is doing. She does it just because he's good. Because she finds him beautiful. Look at verses 8 and 9. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Think she knew that? She didn't know that. And truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. In memory of her. And what's her name? You don't know her name. I think we don't know our name because she is 
She is to be a paradigm of all of us who have found Jesus to be not just good for something, but good and beautiful, the church. And and what she's doing is actually highly significant because she's anointing his body beforehand for burial. And yet she does not know that. And you have no idea how God will use your service. You have no idea how God will use your acts of worship. You have no idea how God will use your acts of mercy. And that's why you do them, just because they're good. And not because of what they can bring about or what you see them bringing about. Because they're beautiful. In 2010, a team came to the Congo and they made this shocking discovery by the river where Dr. Leslie was stationed for those years. They found networks of reproducing churches and Christians. And they have no idea how they got there. But as far as we know, he's the only person who went in there preaching the gospel. And he died without knowing it. You have no idea how God will use your acts of good-for-nothing service into his kingdom. Because he is the sovereign God. And he makes beautiful things work. But she did this beautiful thing because she had found the beautiful one. Have you? Well, if so, then worship him now. Bring before him your offering of worship. Know that Jesus is not just good for something. He's good for everything, but he's just good. And beyond what he can do for you, he gives you himself. Praise him. Amen.